from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please turn in your pew Bibles to Psalm 1, which is found on page 463 in the Old Testament. Listen to God's word. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I read our, our second text, I, I realize that, that some folks have not been here the last couple of weeks, and we've been in a, a short sermon series based off of some wisdom that St. Francis of Assisi has offered us, wisdom that we've reframed under three distinct questions, questions that relate particularly to our life as Christian stewards. That is, uh, our life as being ones who have been, part, been put in charge of, rather, of something that's of value to God, something that God has given us, something that God has put us in charge of. And so we've asked the last two weeks, the first week of the series, what is necessary in our Christian stewardship? Last week, Dr. Craig Barnes from Princeton Theological Seminary was here. He preached on what is possible in Christian stewardship. And this week, we ask the question, what is impossible for us in Christian stewardship? The text that anchors our time is from the Gospel writer Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. Listen to God's word to you and to me. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to the man, There is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said this, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this ancient word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning. Even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ, it's in his name that we earnestly pray. Amen. When it comes to Christian stewardship for you, when you think about your life as a Christian steward, when you think about all that God has put you in charge of, what is impossible? When you think about the money, the time, the talent that God has blessed you with, and when you think of your role as a Christian steward, what seems impossible in that part of your faith and life? Now, I think this text confronts us with three impossibilities when it comes to Christian stewardship. There's probably more, but at least three impossibilities when it comes to money, wealth, and this call to be a faithful steward of what God has put us in charge of. And right off the bat, here is impossibility number one. Jesus says this, sell everything you own. Everything. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, how many people, this is rhetorical, so do not raise your hands, but how many people in this sanctuary or watching online have actually done that? I mean, how many of us have actually taken Jesus at his word here. I mean, throughout Christian history, how many people have actually done this? Now, we could think of the disciples. Yes, they left their nets, they left their livelihood, and they went and they followed Jesus. Maybe some of you are thinking about Mother Teresa right now when I ask that question. Maybe Sister Claire, one of the early followers of St. Francis of, a, of Assisi. Maybe you're thinking of, if you're a church history nerd, maybe you're thinking of the desert fathers or mothers. They certainly left everything and went out into the wilderness to commune with one another and to commune with God. But, but really, how many people have actually done this? Have you? I know I haven't. Sell everything. Give it away. And then be a Christian. I mean, that's what Jesus is actually saying. Did you, did you get that? Sell everything, give it away, and then come and follow me. And then be a Christian. 
And to that, if you're like me, we say impossible. Impossible. I don't know of any pastor here at our church. I don't know of any member or friend of our church who has sold everything they have, given it away, and then decided to follow Jesus. I just don't know anyone. Because when I hear that, I think impossible. That's impossibility number one. Here's impossibility number two. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, and this is in verse 24 and 25 of the 18th chapter of Luke. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We discover what is also impossible here is for rich, for the rich rather, to participate in God's kingdom, to receive God's kingdom, which is another way of saying it's impossible, Jesus says, for the rich to receive God's will or God's way or God's mission both in this world and in the age to come. Two impossibilities confront us right off the bat that are very, very hard to swallow. And so when the Bible becomes difficult for us, especially for us preachers, we try to skate around it. We, we, we try to, to make it fit our life and our congregation's life. And throughout the generations, there have been preachers, there have been scholars, there have been theologians, there have been church folk who have tried to soften the blow of these two impossibilities, especially folks who pastor in affluent contexts. How do you preach this text in an affluent context? My friend Matt Skinner is a New Testament professor. He's out in Minnesota teaching at a Lutheran seminary, and he's, and he's done some work to note all the ways that, and this is especially for preachers, but all the ways Christians have tried to soften the harshness of these two impossibilities. He, he notes in one case where in the King James Version of Mark's telling of this particular story, Luke's not the only one who tells this story, that in the King James Version of, uh, of the Scriptures, instead of it saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, it actually reads, King James, English, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God? Do you see what they did there? Do you see what they did there? It's not just about this category of being rich. The translators actually translated it from the Greek to say those who trust in their riches. So all of a sudden it becomes about a disposition. It becomes about an attitude, not about a category of, of being rich. So the pew sitter has an out with this translation, right, in the King James. I may be rich, but, you know, I don't trust in my riches, so I'm good, right? The problem, of course, is that the original Greek is like the original Greek in Luke because Luke copied it from Mark. It says nothing about trusting in our riches, but about only this category of being rich. Dr. Skinner lifts up a couple more ways that people have tried to skate around this. He, this is comical. I love this one. He, he talks about a 19th century biblical scholar 
who said that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. Okay, follow this logic here. The gate was called Eye of the Needle. And in order for a camel to come in through this gate, the camel would have to stoop down, lower its head to pass through. And this Bible scholar said, see what Jesus was referring to was this gate and and we're like this camel. And and if we're going to keep all of our riches and keep everything tied to our back and we're going to come into the kingdom of God, we have to humble ourselves. And we have to bow down our heads in order to to pass through. The problem with this is that there was no such gate called the eye of the needle. The dude made it up. He completely made it up. But preachers now have another out. Christians have another out. As long as we are humbling ourselves, we can carry all of that in. As long as we humble ourselves before God. Then, of course, there are those, and this is quite common, in sermons where, where a preacher will say, well, this man's particular sin was his wealth. And they'll let the whole congregation off the hook, right? It's probably not your wealth that's really causing you to sin. It's probably your potty mouth or, or your aggressive driving or the fact that you like fried food too much. Money was his sin. It's not your Sin and, and, and we particularize it. We sort of take it out of a communal context and we make it all about this particular rich young ruler. We play these games. We play games with the word rich too. Some of us do that. We say, well, I may not be rich in Atlanta terms, but, but I'm certainly rich in global terms. So am I good or not? So here's the thing in all of this. We can add something to this text that's not there. We can make up history. We can do that if you want. That'll be fun. We can just make stuff up. We can add images. We can add analogies to make it more palpable. We can, we can move the focus off of ourselves and onto this rich young man. That, that, that's his issue. It's not mine. But if we are serious at taking Jesus at his word, we are confronted with the undomesticated and what Matt Skinner calls the untamable nature and character of this text. I mean, just sit with that for a moment, church. Just sit with these two impossibilities. It's impossible for us to give everything away. And it's impossible for us who are rich, to enter the kingdom of God. To make it more difficult, there's actually a third impossibility that emerges. You see, those who overheard this conversation between Jesus and the rich ruler respond by asking this question. You remember this question. Then who can be saved? To really understand the the power of this question, we must remember this. They don't ask this question because they're rich. Okay? They don't ask this question because they're rich. They're, they're far from it. I mean, remember in that day, in that time, the rich were very, very, very small. They were a small segment of the population while the poor was a, represented a vast majority of the population living hand to mouth. The disciples actually asked this question for theological reasons. They ask it for theological reasons because in their day, wealth and money 
proved that you were found to be with favor from God. If you were rich, you were in with God. And the more wealth you had, the more favor you had with God. Right? Right? Wealth is supposed to get you access. It was true then, it's true now. Wealth was supposed to get you in the door. Wealth is supposed to get you where you want to go. And what the disciples are essentially asking is this. If the rich no longer have access, what about me? So the impossibilities, they, they just keep piling up. Can you feel them? Can you feel the weight of this text? Not only is it impossible to sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then be a Christian. Not only is it impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, but it also seems impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God because if the rich aren't included, if they can't inherit it and the rich can gain access and inherit anything they want, then who can? Who can? And it's at this point, it's at this point where I think Jesus finally, finally begins to lift the weight. He finally brings some desperately needed good news. And this is what he says. What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. What's impossible for mortals is possible for God. But what is he actually talking about? I think what he's talking about here is what Karl Barth, the 20th century theologian, called the impossible possibility. I think he's talking about the essence of the gospel. What is impossible for us, but not possible, but not impossible rather for God. What is impossible for us is to give everything away. That's impossible for us, but it's not impossible for God. For church and world, that's what God has done. God has given everything to you and to me and to this world so that we could inherit the kingdom of God, so that we could inherit eternal Life. You see, the rich young ruler, he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus unveils, I think, in this conversation is that that's the wrong question. You see, sometimes, church, we have to ask the question, what has God done for me to inherit eternal life? What has God done for me to inherit the kingdom of God? Because it is not possible for me to do that which only God can do, and that is give everything away so that everyone can have access to God and access to the kingdom of God. And so we ask the question, even in this moment, what has God done in your life? Something that was impossible that you could never bring yourself. Healing and wholeness from a tragedy or a death, forgiveness and second chances when you've messed up time and time again, blessing after blessing in your family and your friends, the gift of community in this church. Friends, what has God done that you couldn't do? What has God made possible that for you is impossible? God has done it because God has given us everything. 
Here's how I'll close this series. Only when we come to acknowledge that it's all grace, amazing grace, only when we can come to the place where our morality is insufficient, our money is insufficient to define us, our careers, our power, our prestige, only when we come to that place and say, I can't save myself, I, I can't do enough. When we say it's impossible for us, we then leave room to accept the possibility that God has already done it. And how has God done it? God has done it by taking on flesh in and as the person of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus lived for you and he died for you and he was raised for you so that we can be liberated from feeling like we have to do the impossible. And once we are liberated from that burden, follow me here, once we're liberated from that burden, it's only then that we're able to do what is necessary and what is possible. You see, this sermon series is best read in reverse. Because only when you get to that place where you say, that's impossible for me, God says, it's not for me, and God does it. And then we're free by grace to do what's necessary and to do what is possible. We do what's necessary in our giving to be a cheerful giver, to bring that joy and that passion to our giving. I said a couple weeks ago, if, if you don't feel joy when you give to this church, you're probably not giving enough. Give until you feel joy, until you feel the pleasure of God. We talked about how you need to make up your mind about giving. Giving's not haphazard. It's not accidental. It's not, hey, I should buy a Starbucks today or maybe I'll buy Dunkin' Donuts. It's not haphazard. It's intentional. It's intentional. It's thoughtful. Last week, Dr. Barnes talked about what's possible in our giving. And he talked about proportional giving, how God has put everything in our two hands and we become two-handed givers. And we prayerfully discern, prayerfully discern a spiritual conversation between us and God, what proportion we'll give to God's work in and through the church. You see, friends, we've got to work backwards here. We've got to come to terms with that which is impossible for us and recognize and give thanks that God has done it for us. And because God has done it, we now have the grace and the freedom to do what's necessary and to do what's possible. So church, let's all do it for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. Amen.